Hey, folks, if you've been listening to our show, you've probably heard Victor talk about Hillsdale College. It's one of the few colleges in the U.S. still interested in teaching truth. What you probably didn't know is that they have over 40 free online courses. And Victor is one of the professors in three of those courses, American Citizenship and its Decline, based on Victor's book, The Dying Citizen, How Progressive Elites, Tribalism, and Globalization Are Destroying the Idea of America, The Second World Wars, based on his book by the same name, and Athens and Sparta, partly based on his book, A War Like No Other, How the Athenians and Spartans Fought the Peloponnesian War. Don't you wish Victor would have been one of your professors in college? Well, now you can join him as he covers some of the main ideas of his books with Hillsdale College's online courses, all available for free. That's right, for free. The courses are seven to nine episodes long, and they are self-spaced, so you can take them whenever and wherever. I think I'm going to start with American Citizenship and Its Decline, where Victor explores the history of citizenship in the West and the threats it faces today. Threats like the erosion of the middle class, the disappearance of our borders, the growth of an unaccountable deep state, and the rise of globalist organizations. Hey, start your free course with Victor Davis Hansen today. Go right now to hillsdale.edu slash vdh to start. It's free and it's easy to get started. That's hillsdale.edu slash vdh to start. hillsdale.edu slash vdh. <laughs> Hello, gentlemen. This is the Victor Davis Hanson Show. I am Jack Fowler, the host, but you are here to listen to the star and the namesake, and that is Victor Davis Hanson. He is the Martin and Ely Anderson Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution and the Wayne and Marsha Buskey Distinguished Fellow in History at Hillsdale College. Victor is a classicist, military historian, farmer, best-selling author, syndicated columnist, etc., 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 and you will find his happy home on the internet at the Blade of Perseus. And the web address there is victorhanson.com. Tell you more about that later in this uh, podcast. Today, Victor, we're going to begin by getting your thoughts on this Department of Defense uh, investigation and report of all these you know, white nationalists. Uh, insurrectionists, etc., in the military that just were not there, despite what Mark Milley implied and impugned uh, speaking to the country a couple of years ago. We also have Francis Collins, the former head of the NIH, giving us a big oops about the lockdowns and uh, how his agency was involved in harming this country. And what else, Victor? If we have time, we'll talk about trans men getting into boxing, just okay. the, the latest lunacy, latest lunacy. But we'll get to these things, starting off with the Department of Defense report and your thoughts on it right after these important messages. Can't pay the IRS? Haven't filed in a while? Receiving threatening letters? Yeah. 
it's about to get worse. The IRS is hiring an army of agents targeting hardworking Americans like you. You need warriors on your side. You need Tax Network USA. Tax Network USA has brilliant strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. For instance, they've discovered a limited-time special offer that the IRS is willing to waive $1 billion in penalties. Find out if you qualify before it's too late. Never call the IRS alone. Let Tax Network USA attorneys handle it. They have preferred direct lines to the IRS. They know which agents to work with and which to avoid. They've resolved over $1 billion in tax debts and offer a best-in-class guarantee. Schedule your free consultation now. Call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000 or visit tnusa.com slash victor, tnusa.com slash victor. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors Fresh, Never Frozen Meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. Make today the day you kickstart a new healthy routine. What are you waiting for? For our listeners, Factor is giving you 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month when you use the promo code VICTOR50 at factormeals.com slash victor50. Choose from six menu preferences to help you manage calories, maximize protein intake, avoid meat, or simply eat well-balanced. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Remember, to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month, head to factormeals.com slash victor50, that's V-I-C-T-O-R-5-0, and use the code VICTOR50, that's code VICTOR50, at factormeals.com slash victor50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson Show. Victor, I think I was cutting you off on something there. No, I, I was just going to say these, when we're going to talk about these themes, you mentioned uh, DOD and Millie yeah. and Fauci. There is a pattern there, isn't there? That these people, yeah. they get, with the growth of the federal government, I wrote about it called the unelected in a chapter on the dying citizen. But when this federal government vastly expanded in the, in the 60s, we created these huge bureaus. The, J, the Joint Chiefs were created during World War II. But the point I'm making is that we've given enormous power to people, salaries, jets, everything. And they operate autonomously without control of Congress or the president. So that when you see the arrogance of Mark Milley, who thought that he could call up his Chinese counterpart and warn him that in a time of a nuclear crisis, he would warn the Chinese, our existential enemies, about the uh, intent of his own commander in chief, that was just crazy. And when you see Fauci with those emails 
in the very earliest notice of this COVID, basically exhibiting panic that people, according to Fauci and Collins, might interpret their routing of monies through Echo Health to enhance the research at that lab. You can see what these people are capable of. In the case of Millie, I think that was in June. It was right after Biden came in office and we were still in the DEI euphoria following the death of George Floyd. It had been about a year. It was June 21, I think. And if you remember, there was Admiral Jill Day from the Chief of Naval Operations. There was Lloyd Austin and there was Mark Milley. And they each, they were kind of very analogous to the three college presidents, you know, on December 5th, that they got groupthink. And the groupthink at that time was if you suggested that DEI was racist, I did. And I can tell you, I got really hammered for it. And that coincided when I was called up uh, from the Stanford Faculty Senate. If you said it was racist or it was not meritocratic or it was unsustainable, you were in trouble. So they were trying to out virtue signal performance art each other. And all of them, if you could look at what they said, it was that they were going to do two things. They were going to enact a diversity, equity, inclusion agenda. And this was the Democratic Senate majority. And there were House, I guess it was, I guess it was people in the House as well. And they were going to, uh, secondly, they were going to root out white extremism, white rage. Remember he said he had to understand white privilege, white rage, and uh, white supremacy. Okay. So they inaugurated an investigation in June, July of 2021. Now we hear very quietly, Jack, that uh, 22, 26 months went, another year went. 22, another year went. So here we are two years, seven months later, and meekly with a little murmur, a mouse peep, we hear there was nothing there. They looked all through the million plus enlisted ranks. They went through social media. They didn't find a cabal of white supremacists. But that's what they said. Reminded me so much. Remember when Janet Napolitano she had been governor of Arizona, hard leftist, and Barack Obama made her in 2009 head of Homeland Security. Mm-hmm. And she she did two things, as I remember. I'm just thinking of it theater, uh, right now. She said, remember Obama said, uh, we're going to call this uh, man. She said they're man-made disasters. And we're not going to use the terrorism. He had another word, man-caused disasters. But overseas overseas contingencies, I think Obama said, she said man caused disaster. In other words, they wouldn't use the word terrorist because they were afraid it would hurt the feelings of radical Islamicists. She says the second thing. She said she was worried about veterans from Afghanistan and Iraq coming back here and joining white supremacist terrorist groups. That was the chief worry she had. And then... There was no evidence for that, just like there was no evidence for me. And she had to apologize. So she then went around to veterans group. Oh, I didn't mean it, but they did yeah. mean it. They all meant it. And so did Millie mean it. And he was just, he should have been fired for that because there was no evidence whatsoever that there had ever been people. And then he did something even worse. 
he oversaw and his predecessors did, but he perpetuated that policy that if you were in the military and you thought that the mRNA vaccine had problems for people in the military in the sense of especially males who were young under the age of 40, and there was a lot of them and even up to 50, if you were a vigorous, healthy male, there had already been reports that the incidence of cardio-related complications were greater for that rubric, and the chance of getting a severe fatal COVID was very reduced. And a lot of people in the military said either one of two things. They said, I fit a paradigm of a person who will not die from COVID, and I fit a paradigm that has a higher than usual reaction to the vaccine that can cause uh, heart problems. And two, most of them had had COVID and they had a natural acquired immunity. Didn't matter. They were lumped together with the white group or the resistance, whatever they wanted. And they they kicked out 8,400 of them. It was horrible. These were some of our best people. Then he went on and he was, as I keep, I know people say, Victor, just forget about the democracy. I'm not going to forget about it. He went after white males who had died at 73, 74% of all combat fatalities in Afghanistan and Iraq. How stupid is that? And now what was the aftermath of that testimony? The aftermath is, was there's nothing there, but there was something, General Milley, you caused a massive leaving flight from the military of the people you depend on to go to some godforsaken place and die for this country and fight in the worst possible conditions. I've been to Fallujah. I went to those places. It's horrible. And you sent people over there to die. The military did. And they died at twice their numbers and the demographic. And then you insult them. And you put them under the suspicion of being terrorists. And then when they- to be to be clear, can we just uh, it's yeah. true that it's not only the uh, what he did harmed uh, new enlistments, but it severely amped up uh, uh, existing members of the military yes. re-enlisting. Right now I mean, they're so- they're offering business. They're offering bonuses. They understand. Oh, my God, we kicked out 8,400 of our best people because they had a scientific reason not to get the vaccination because it was an experimental treatment and they had herd immunity or naturally acquired immunity and they didn't want to take the risk and we could have made arrangements for them. But instead, now we want them back. And now we want and now 50,000. Is that what we're looking at? And all the branches of the military, they're going to be short maybe more, and they will still continue this lie. They continue to say, there's a low unemployment rate. We have to compete against the private sector. There has been a low employment rate for a long time in different administrations. You've never had this shortfall. Oh, people are obese. They have tattoos. They use drugs. They're in gangs. We don't have a pool. No. That has been constant. What is new is if you look at the demographics of Latinos and blacks and Asians and women and white males from the middle class, and you look at which group is not enlisting according to their percentages in past years, it's the last group. 
And I can tell you, I gave lectures all of 2021, 22, and 23 across this country on diverse topics. And in every single Q&A, one person, two people, at least, sometimes off topic, asked me a question. Mr. Hansen, Professor Hansen, would you just tell me why my son should enlist? My grandfather, his grandfather went to Vietnam. His father went to the first Gulf War. But I don't want him to go in there because they're going to accuse him of being racist. He's never going to get promoted. And I don't. And they kicked uh, his friends out for not having it. I don't want him to enlist. What do you think? And that was the damage that Mark Milley did. And so Mark Milley is going to be judged by history for two things for freelancing as if he's some kind of Kissingerian diplomat with the communist Chinese against the interest of his own president. And number two, he's going to be judged for creating a white male terrorist phantom and creating hysteria. And he's not going to be able to correct that. Another thing, that whole climate of that period this was the George Floyd riot cycle. You remember that, Jack? He did. He said this in June of 21, and we'd had riots over the whole 2020. And there was Joe Biden was elected, and Joe Biden came in and said, I'm not going to have any of this violence. And he wanted to join the Biden DEI exuberance. It was the Kendi apogee. It was, everybody was quoting that faker, Ibrahim Kendi. Okay, and he just rode that, and, he, and so did Austin, and so did Gilday, the chief of naval operations. And at the same time this was going on, we had seven or eight of the most well-known generals and admirals in the United States, and they were systematically violating the Code of Uniform Military Justice. Admiral McRaven, whom I have the highest respect for, given his service to the country, and all he did, nevertheless, he wrote an op-ed that he said that Donald Trump should be gone sooner the better, even though we had a scheduled election. And Colonel Nagel, I have the highest respect for, and he wrote an op-ed said that Milley should escort, use the military to prevent Donald Trump and get him out of office. Rosa Brooks, whose works, I admit she was an Obama lawyer, but she was a professional. She wrote that Donald Trump should be removed by 25th Amendment or impeachment, but preferably by a military coup. And we had some of the best, best people, I won't mention them by name, but they said he was a Nazi, that he was a liar, that he was Mussolini, that he was he was supporting the policies of Auschwitz. These were our greatest people. And then we get the 51 intelligence authorities who swore to us right after uh, they were called by Anthony Blinken, might recall the ex-CI interim director, Mike Morrell, and said, can you round up some people, 51 people, Joe Biden. Right before the election, they gave him that ammunition. He said, 51 intelligence officers, Donald Trump, they say you're lying. They say you're lying. They say that this, this wasn't Hunter's laptop. Hunter never even said it wasn't. He never, he never was that bold to lie that what is there wasn't his. So... Put it all together, Jack, Millie, Austin, Gilday, these retired four stars, best and brightest of our military, uh, disparaging, deliberately violating their oath uh, of the Uniform Code of Military Justice, completely exempt from any repercussions. And then 
you have their counterparts and the intelligence all line and put it all together. And you wonder why people do not want to join the military. Right. Well, you want to serve under these people. Yeah. Or this code or this ethos that they've created. Yeah. And I think it's going to have to change or we're going to be in big trouble. It's a larger question, Jack. You know, when you use any system in history that uses ideology as the barometer of in place mm -hmm. of meritocracy, it's going to cause failure and death and destruction. We saw it in national. If you look at some of, and it was good for us, that the Nazi ideology permeated, especially as the war went, every military decision. So you had people like Von Monstein and Guderian and Rommel, you name them. And they were relieved of command. And they were all accused, von Kleist, all these people, of not having sufficient national socialist credentials because Nazi ideology... You couldn't buck it. And this was, right. you know, we're going to have this super America bomber with six engines. We're going to have V2 rocket. All of these ideas that were militarily unsound as far as cost of benefit were based on ideological concerns. So was the, the idea that you're going to kill six million people in the greatest crime of humanity in the modern era, maybe ever. And you're going to do that and take all of your transportation out of you know, Dresden and all these places and put Jewish civilians to execute them, even though it hurts the cause because you're so full of genocidal hate. Only a Nazi could do that. When you look at the Red Army and you look at the three greatest encirclements in history, two in Ukraine and an outside of Moscow in 1941, and you look at what the commissars were telling Stalin, we're going to make sure that everybody is ideologically for the revolution. They're not going to take one step back. And, and they said, you better have a strategic retreat or you're going to lose a 600,000 man army. No, no, that would be against the uh, revolutionary fervor of communism. And they and then suddenly in October, I think of 42, oh, there's no more commissars. We're not going to have that. And we saw what happened in, with loyalty oaths in the McCarthy period. And so one of our great classes, I didn't agree with him. He was a leftist, but Moses Finley was a genius and he had to take a loyalty oath at Cornell and he chose not to do it. He went to Cambridge and that was, by the time he died, he was the most quoted ancient historian in the world. And so my point is this, when you have this DEI ideology and it permeates every aspect, and I say DEI in the widest sense, so trans athletes, and you have clouding gay, and you have United Airlines using 50% mandated of DEI trainees uh, are going to be our pilots. And you have the FAA using uh, DEI criterion rather than experience. It's going to permeate the entire society. And whether you know it or not, when you get up in the morning and you flip on that switch and there's electricity... Or you get in that plane and you go through the fog and the rain and the snowstorm safely across the United States. And when you go on campus and you feel you're safe for your unorthodox view, that's all based on a meritocratic system, not tribalism, not ethnic chauvinism, not racism. And you substitute that and you say, we're going to adjudicate who gets promoted based on her race, 
not her articles. If you're clouding gay, you don't write four articles uh, and expect, unless you're clouding gay, and expect to get tenure. And if you're clouding gay, you can plagiarize and that's okay. And we'll make new words for it, euphemisms, missteps. When you start doing that, then the whole system will insidiously erode. And it's not, it's, Everybody quotes Hemingway's Sun Also Rises. You know, it was it was gradually, then suddenly, when he's talking about a right. character went bankrupt. And that's what happened in the Rome in the fourth, fifth century. You can't tell it's going on that much. You just feel it. It's insidious. You can see in Rome that people are coming across the Danube. They're coming across the Rhine. The legions don't speak Latin along the Rhine. They will not go over to North Africa to help. You start to see that the aqueducts are sort of clogging up. You start to see that there's not as much glass being produced. You start to see that the production of grain is going down. You start to see if you take the Via Egnitia from Rome to Thessaloniki, it's very dangerous for the first time. You start to notice that the road's not being up and that, and then suddenly it just implodes. People come across and say, you know what? These people either can't or won't fight. We're taking over. And that's what happened. And this is what's happening to our own society. This DEI ideology is unwinding it, among other causes. And we are here and we're every day we're confronted with it. We're thinking, wow, how did this woman become president of Harvard? She plagiarized. She didn't even produce the data in her dissertation. She got tenure with four measly articles. She tried to go after the most brilliant professors at Harvard, Roland Fryer, Ronald Sullivan, black conservatives. My God, she can't even say that she'll stop people conducting themselves in an anti-Semitic way, behavior and speech. How did this woman get here? What has she done to Harvard? Look at Harvard's corporation. They're defending this. 700 Harvard professors say it's not plagiarism. It's just copying. My God. And that's what happens. And we, we're, we're watching it unwind the same way. The same way. And this, this is a very pernicious ideology. And we need to go back to merit. And it'll only happen. And that's why I imagine, you know, we haven't said that, Jack, but have you noticed that I, I think Christopher Rufo was a little bit out there when he used the word scalp. But his larger strategy was kind of brilliant. He said, yes, I wanted to go after Claudine Gay. Yes, I have no apologies. Yes, I'm going to keep examining the credentials of people who are in high positions of influence and power that didn't arrive there meritocratically. Yes, right. I don't care what you say. If you notice that kind of in your face, I have no apologies. And, no. I, and I think that's good because that's yeah. what it's going to take. Well, and uh, what's her name? The congresswoman. Uh, oh, my gosh. I can't remember. From Ste New York. Ste is it Stefanik or Stefanik? Stefanik, yeah. Stefanik. Um, talk about in your face. And and uh, remember when Hillary Clinton uh, testified before Congress a long, long time ago, when she was first lady, and there was a sense of cowering of Republicans when faced by some you know untouchables on the left. Yeah, and uh, it was nice to see her like not give a rat's ass who these three people were. Their their uber prestige because they were, you know, presidents of Ivy League and MIT. So uh, she she deserves a, a hat tip too. Hey, Victor, we still need to talk about. Well, get your thoughts on Francis Collins, and but we also need to take a a break, and we'll we'll uh, we'll get your thoughts. 
about him right after these important messages. Have you heard of cancer-fighting foods? The American Cancer Society discovered diets rich in fruits and veggies may actually lower, lower your risk of cancer. Hopefully you hear this and run to the store for five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. If not, you should consider adding Field of Greens to your daily health regimen. Each fruit and veggie in Field of Greens was doctor-selected for studied health benefits. There's a heart health group, lungs, kidneys, and metabolism groups, even healthy weight. What your body needs is found in each scoop of delicious Field of Greens. Will Field of Greens prevent, treat, or cure cancer? No, but it's so powerful, it promises at your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or your money back. I got you 15% off and free rush shipping. Visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code VICTOR, V-I-C-T-O-R, for your discount. That's promo code VICTOR at fieldofgreens.com, fieldofgreens.com. At Just the News, we break the stories others in the media ignore or are too afraid to tell. We did it on Russia collusion. Hunter Biden and the security and intelligence failures that preceded January 6th. Our stories have real impact and reach because we stick to the facts. I'm John Solomon. You can help me expand our honest, unvarnished, and unbiased reporting by becoming a premium member at Just the News. You'll get an ad-free experience and exclusive member-only access to events, and you'll be helping us dig up more truth. Join today at justthenews.com slash subscribe. We're back with the uh, Victor Davis Hanson show. And Victor, before uh, we get to uh, Collins and maybe also we could go back on that uh, DEI airline um, uh, thing you raised also. I, I want to let our listeners know that um, with the uh, new year now here, and now is the time to start working on those New Year's, New Year's resolutions. And Field of Greens makes sticking to healthy New Year's resolutions easy. Field of Greens is the simplest way to get the daily recommended fruits and vegetables, and it tastes amazing. Every fruit and vegetable in Field of Greens was medically selected by doctors to support your vital organs like heart, lungs, kidneys, and the immune system. For our listeners, listeners of the Victor Davis Hanson Show, Field of Greens is giving you 15% off your first order when you go to fieldofgreens.com and use the promotion code VICTOR. Do that to get 15% off your first order. Again, visit fieldofgreens.com. Use the promo code VICTOR, fieldofgreens.com slash VICTOR, or not slash VICTOR, promo code VICTOR. We thank the good people at Field of Greens for sponsoring the Victor Davis Hanson Show. So, Victor, um, Francis Collins, the uh, now former head of the NIH, and as you know, and I'm sure most of our listeners know, along with Fauci, Anthony Fauci, one of the two people overseeing not only uh, the um, uh, health, quote-unquote health, response uh, to the COVID uh, pathogen, but also overseeing the uh, lockdowning of a locking down of America and a host of other social uh, consequences and rules and regulations. And he now 
admits uh, some interview that he did last year that has come out. Um, he says, uh, we we weren't really considering the consequences, those that's in quotes, of extreme measures, measures such as business shuts, shutdowns, school closures, stay-at-home orders. Um, he confessed that, quote, public health people, end quote, made a, quote, really unfortunate, end quote, mistake by ignoring the devastating side effects of the interventions they believed were necessary to curtail COVID-19 transmissions. Victor, one other thing, and I'm just reading by the way here, a piece in Reason Magazine. Uh, he was also, though, the tag team partner of Fauci in moving to swiftly suppress uh, Scott Atlas and the Great Barrington um, Declaration when that came out. Like, what do we have to do to, to suppress this immediately? Uh, Francis Collins has a lot to be held accountable for. Anyway, Victor, any thoughts about this? Why didn't he, first of all, why didn't he issue apologies? He could have said Scott Atlas, which was on the White House task force in various consultations and giving advice with Dr. Burks, myself, and Dr. Fauci, advocated a type of relaxed quarantine and focused efforts at protecting old people by keeping them out of the general population as much as possible and having a realistic attitude about social distancing and mask with proper concern, though advocacy for the vaccinations, but with the qualifier that it wasn't the magic bullet that had been advertised with ample concern that missed cancer screenings, operative operations, uh, screening, etc., coupled with school time lost, coupled with a Zoom impersonal culture is not going to work economically, socially, politically, uh, culturally for this country in terms of spousal, family abuse, alcohol, substance abuse. Why doesn't he just apologize? Because that's what Scott said. He didn't. He didn't apologize to Scott. He didn't apologize to Jay Bacharya, whom they went after because of the, as you mentioned, the Great Barrington Declaration. They didn't go after John Yannanides, the brilliant immunologist at Stanford. They didn't apologize to Michael Levet, the Nobel Prize winner. The funny thing was, Jack, as I mentioned before, here was Stanford University, and they didn't understand that they had four. Stanford professors, Scott Atlas, affiliated with the Hoover Institution, John Yanides, Jay Bacharya, and Michael Levet. And they were all right. And they were all voices in the wilderness. And they all used their expertise. And they could have been taking credit for that. Stanford would have been famous. They could have said, we don't want to get an argument, but we have some of the most distinguished public health officials in the United States, and they want to offer a corrective or at least advice about an alternative, and we want to support airing of those views. Did they do that? No. The president, the provost, they, they went after them. The medical school tried to take Scott's medical license. They censored him. The faculty senate censored them. You, they made them persona non grata. In one case, they suspended his pay. And 
What can Francis Collins say to that? Nothing. He did a lot of damage to people. And he did a lot of damage to our listeners out there, some of whom suffered economic ruin. Some of them had psychological problems. We wouldn't have had the George Floyd. I really believe that. I think we would have had a week of rioting. But you put people in there apartments, their houses, you don't let them out. And their only source of information is the media. And then they hear that it, it, it caused so much damage. It ruined the Trump administration. It absolutely, I'd still believe, and I think you do too, Jack, if you, we did not react the way we did to COVID, Trump would have been reelected. Absolutely. Absolutely. So he did a lot of damage. And you know what else gets me really angry? And maybe our listeners can fact check this, but I remember Two years earlier, right about the time that we discussed Millie, Millie was sounding off, he wanted to get into the action. The DEI, I can out-DEI anybody. And Francis Collins issued a blanket apology to the whole biomedical field and said, we have structural systemic racism. He didn't give any examples. He just apologized. So what I'm getting at is, this is a man who has no morality or intellectual bearings. He cannot make statements or come to decisions based on empirical evidence and the courage to express his opinions, regardless of the opposition that might arise to them. So if it's a DEI mob rule, then he wants to get out in front and apologize for all of us uh, who have created a medical system that he says is racist. If he really believed that, then he should have stepped down and said, I am a white male and I got I took advantage of this systemic racism and I can do no more to call attention for it at the height of my career than to resign. And I asked Anthony Fauci to do the same. But to say to young scholars who are getting MDs and PhDs and that type of research, we're not going to be hiring you because of your is the lowest of the low. And then, you know, what else gets me? He could have. He could have apologized to all those people who were injured, both government officials or medical officials. He didn't do anything. So he, let me get this straight, when DEI was riding high, he comes out and apologizes for racism. And then when the pendulum swings and he sees that the mood of the country now is, oh, my God. We demonize the people who told the truth, and we canonize this Fauci faker and all these people, and I want to apologize again. And we're going to say, no, 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 no. Can't do it. Gone. You're retired. Just go back into the corner and keep quiet and write your one-sided memoirs or something. We don't believe you anymore. This is one apology too many, and you apologize only on what you take your finger, you lick it and you look at the wind direction and you make the accordion apologies and people ruins people suffer because of you same thing with fauci ultimately jack ultimately if you're dispassionate and you're analytical and you're not ideological or political you just look at the evidence you come to the following likely conclusion I think Nicholas Wade, the scientific writer who was demonized for telling the truth in an article, mm-hmm. basically Stephen Quay, who was demon, they all said the same thing. Right. Basically, when you look at it, these people were very worried 
And I don't know whether they had influence with or support from the CIA and the National Intelligence and Defense Complex. But they were worried that we had outlawed, outlawed for reasonable worries, gain-of-function Bible research. And they used this lab as a surrogate. And so they thought, we want a stakeholding in this lab in Wuhan. So... We will say we're going to give them 600000 from the NIH that Fauci got through the Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases. We're going to route it to our buddy, Peter Daszak. And then he's going to give it to them. And that gives us plausible deniability that we only gave him 600000 But we're also going to greenlight researchers that can go over with them or communicate with them and guide them in their research. And they're either going to give them expertise and maybe even instrumentation. So we have a big stake. And then when this thing blew up, they thought, oh, my God, we helped this communist government create in the lab a very virulent, 30 times more infectious than any coronavirus in nature that's going to kill millions of people, and they're going to blame us for it. It's going to come out. So what we have to do is we have to do two things. We've got to get a narrative out there that it was a pangolin and a bat. And number two, we've got to lock down. We, better, we just better lock down the whole country. And then we've got to demonize anybody who does two things, who objects to our lockdown. We're going to have to call them into question their competency, their patriotism, everything. And then we also have to call them liars if they say it's from the lab. Mm-hmm. That's what they did. And ultimately, they're responsible in, in large part for the COVID epidemic. And they know it. And that's why they are wounded fawns. They've kind of slunk off to the corner. And now, he, oh, I'm kind of sorry what I did. Maybe, maybe sort of, kind of, maybe I, I might have done something wrong. And then Fauci is... Uh, well, uh, uh, I think I'm going to retire at 80. I would plan to go to 90 probably, but I, I will retire. And he stayed as long as he could to, to use that $50 billion purse strings to make sure that nobody criticized him. You talked to, and I talked to some medical researcher. They all said the same thing. Are you crazy, Victor? You think that in 2021 or 22, anybody was going to challenge Anthony Fauci? Right. You think they wanted their lab shut down? They're not going to do that. It was kind of like clouding gay at Harvard when uh, Roland Fryer wrote an, a, a brilliant article with empirical data and let his research be discussed. Right. That in the aftermath of George Floyd, there was not systemic racism that led to an inordinate number of uh, unarmed black suspects being killed by white policemen. And that was proven. Even the Washington Post concurred. And then there was an outrage. And then Harvard's best Professor MacArthur fellow, the whole thing that, you know, Glenn Lowey was right about that, that he was the most promising. He wasn't, I I couldn't say he was the next Tom Sowell because that suggests patronism because he was black. He was the best economist. He was the next Milton Friedman as and Tom Sowell on matters of race. and, And they came to her and they said, this guy is really, man, we're all here from DEI and we've got this narrative after George Floyd. And you take away the George Floyd narrative that 
blacks were being murdered by these racist white supremacy cops and, and the whole DI and you better go after him. And she did. And she did they find did they not reopen some lab? They shut something it down. that had been re already had been adjudicated about him with his interaction with the with the he said a, a bunch of off-color jokes, joking. Yeah, yeah, Nobody yeah. had ever complained about it. Said right. things like, I, I think he had an aide that said she was going to Paris. He said, I wish I could come along and stuff like that. Or he said things like, when he was just bull session with his staff, and he said something like, I was kind of a con artist in high school. I would say I would say anything to have you know sex or something. Just a joke. Yeah. And there were women in the room, and later most of them said no one objected because they were saying the same thing. It yeah. was kind of a ribald bull session, and they everybody you, liked it. You. And yeah. she took that and rode that. Right. And she had no understanding, Jack, that since antiquity, it's pretty well known. Whether you're a Christian, you have a Christian version of it, but even if you're an infidel. You agree that there is something called nemesis and karma, payback's a bitch, what comes around in the popular culture, that there is a governing body in the universe that understands that, that when you commit a wrong like that, the forces of deity, I think, I look at it in a Christian perspective, that there is a great regulator in the world. And that behavior, there is. And (laughs) that's what happened to Claudine Gay, and that's what happened to Francis Collins, and that's what is happening to Anthony Fauci. And you can't escape it. And what the Greeks told us, maiden agon, nothing too much. Nothing, that's in the temple of Apollo at Delphi. One side was nothiseaton, know yourself, and the other side was nothing too much. And the idea was the golden mean, which is a Greek term, the krusion uh, metron. And you have to be humble and you have to be careful. And if you don't do it for good reasons, then do it for practical reasons that uh, you don't want to offend the regulator of the world who sees everything. If you don't believe in the eye of Zeus seeing everything, then believe in a Christian God who is a moral being and your soul depends on some morality and that morality is contingent on turning the other cheek or being nice to people in the yeah. way you would like to be treated. And these oh, people didn't what, do that. They didn't. Know, he, can, he can count every hair on your head I, from the Bible. So yes, the intimacy of, uh, of the eye of God on, on us and all our actions. Uh, absolutely. And, and yeah. this arrogance that we get into that, or as my mother said to me once, I don't want to sound like Joe Biden quoting his parents, but you, if you don't want to be nice to, she was a just appellate court justice. And yeah. I would go into the court and everybody liked her because she said if they were changing tires in the service area of the state building or whether they were a concierge, she would always talk to them or invite them right. in her office. And, and she drove an old car and she was from a farm and she had a ton, you know, kind of a, she lived in a very small house. And um, she said, if you don't believe in treating people right, and she did, but even if you didn't, there is a force in the world that, and as she put it, when you're on the ascent, you're going to hit a plateau and then you're going to be, as you age, in a descent. And the people who flatter you in the uh, ascent may not be there in the descent, but 
the right. people that you're nice to from all walks of life will be. And even if it, you don't, you don't have a moral compass, and she did, but she said, even if you don't, you have to be practical. And that's what right. they didn't understand. If Francis Collins had just said, this is what I think we should do. We should shut down the economy and we should go to social distancing and masking and we should require the uh, vaccination boosters. However, we've never done this before. So I welcome dissent and people to come in in case we need a national conversation. I'm going to implement these policies, but as they start to uh, work out on the ground level, there's going to be people with different views, and I want to hear them so that I can adjudicate and modulate and be flexible. He didn't do that. Instead, it demonized people, and it created a whole, we're going to you know, root you out, we're going to rat you out, you're right. a, um, Victor, maybe it wasn't, you know, you mentioned it just a few minutes ago, the, uh, I'll call it a cover-up of the funding of gain-of-function against the law, but who knows what else these knuckleheads were doing over the years, not related to COVID, but other things that... Well, I think I think they'll go back and look at some of the AIDS and they, yeah. the reputations of Fauci and others during that um, epidemic will start to change as well. Yeah. And... I just think that's going to happen. I think they were kings. They were tyrants of these huge bureaucracies, and they used their ability to give money to particular people, and they they selected them. And I, I you know, when I was in graduate school, you could see that in a very irrelevant, minuscule way. That if you were in graduate school and there were particular fellowships, I was at the American School of Classical Studies in Athens. I was at Stanford University, and there were particular people in these institutions who had, as I look back on it, was meager monetary, you know, scholarships or continuances of fellowships. And they use that. They use that to get control over people. And that's what they do. And you've got to speak out against it. And the only way you can speak out against it is have a tragic view that you're going to be screwed over by them and you don't care. And that's a liberating feel. You have nothing. Right. You have to say to yourself, they have nothing that I need or want. And then you have to find ways of compensating yeah and you know that it's old very commercial, hard to what do you, what will you do for a klondike bar and there are people that would do things for a klondike bar and uh you know, you know you i start... saw last night billy wired wilder's the apartment with jack lemon oh, what a great movie that is <laughs> one, of great best, movie, actually. one of the best movies yeah, and fred I've... mcmurray and his yeah. whole life is to he turns his apartment into bed a revolving house of prostitution, basically, for all these corporate bigwigs. Right. And he gets insulted, and they make fun of him. And the more he is magnanimous to them, and he, he puts the apartment at his use, the less respect for them. And then they finally, the girl, uh, Shirley MacLaine, commits suicide, tries to commit suicide. He helps cover it up. He's nice. And then they reward him with his own And then he just breaks. I said, I can't do this anymore. And then, you know, he stops it and he marries her at the end you get the impression but yeah same yeah. idea that <laughs> yeah. i can't do this anymore well as uh, the man behind the curtain hey victor we're um i want to uh get back to that uh thing you mentioned about dei and airlines but first i want to just take a, a minute to welcome back our um sponsor hillsdale college and dear listeners did you know that victor is one of the professors in three of the over 40 free free online courses at hillsdale college that is correct 
The first course, American Citizenship and Decline, is based on Victor's book, The Dying Citizen. The second uh, course is titled The Second World Wars, which is based on Victor's best-selling book by the same name. And the third course is Athens and Sparta, which is partly based on Victor's book, A War Like No Other, How the Athenians and Spartans Fought the Peloponnesian War. These courses, uh, each of them, are seven to nine episodes long, and they are self-paced. So you can take them whenever and wherever at your convenience. Go right now, or go after the podcast is over. Go to hillsdale.edu slash VDH to start. It's free, and it's easy to get started. That's hillsdale.edu slash VDH to start. Hillsdale.edu slash VDH. And we thank the good people at Hillsdale College for sponsoring the Victor Davis Hanson Show. So, Victor, um, again, we're recording on, I don't know if I mentioned this at the outset, the 6th, the Feast of the Epiphany, January 6th. And earlier today, I came across, and I sent it to you before we started to record, a tweet uh, from a um, a uh, Ashley St. Clair. She's from the Babylon Bee, but this isn't a Babylon Bee-ish story. She writes, um, hey, United, and she's talking about United Airlines. On July 29th, the United plane was nearly totaled after a hard landing. Who was flying that aircraft? By the way, Victor, I, I went down, a, not a rabbit hole on this, but I saw pictures of this. This happened in Houston, and this aircraft was like crumpled. It was a big freaking jet, and it bounced. You mean it three wasn't times. piloted by a white supremacist. <laughs> They're too busy. Now they were all in the military. Um, so to conclude, what she wrote in this tweet um, was the co-pilot a former flight attendant who was fired in all caps. And then rehired through United's through United's DEI program, despite being on a list. Was this a rhetorical question, United. or did she have well, evidence? I have a feeling she has evidence uh, because she is uh, she is a journalist, and uh -huh. there's um, there's a lot of stuff here in the follow ups. But I can't imagine putting something right. like this. Uh, out without having uh, some background material. But there's also a fact, as you mentioned earlier, that the, this same company uh, has a, um, a mandate of, of DEI in its, in its hiring. And it's, uh, wow, you know, if you're DEI and hiring and, I don't know, you're selling peanuts at Yankee Stadium, that's one thing. You're flying an aircraft aircraft you're operating machinery that if you f up many people are going to die so it's this is really um this is really uh disturbing uh but we, we you know anyway i i if you had any thoughts on this uh feel that well, you haven't said already feel free and we could we have other things we can talk you know about. i haven't i just remember that uh this wasn't very long ago maybe a year ago remember that United flight that went from Maui, I think it was United, yes. and almost crashed. Right, and it was it was really weird. It didn't. It was a. It was a. It just plunged almost down, like I don't know, seven hundred feet or so into the ocean, and then it corrected. 
Yeah. And they never really told us what happened. They just said it was a storm. And I, I don't know. I just feel, and I, you and I have talked on the show about these near misses. And I mentioned that I've had those take do-overs, you know, where you come down. Right. And you start, and then all of a sudden they abruptly go up. And I've had two of those. And I just get, I don't know if it's the increased traffic or it's the bag. And then L.A., they had a near collision on the ground and the bag. I don't know what it is, but there's too many people flying for the ability of the air traffic controllers to control the flights and the number of planes to be checked to make sure they're mechanically secure and to have top flight pilots. It just that's the the equation there's it just you, it's not like it was 10 years ago right and we're going to see more of these and whether it is also because the airlines united in particular are using criteria other than merit or experience i know the faa is and i know that united has a pilot training that mandates a particular half of all and applicants have to be dei so if you're going to do that, what we talked earlier about the commissariat uh, system, I don't know what's going to happen. But you get the impression that the fabric of this country is so complex that it has no margin of error. And when you start to tinker with it, you rip that fabric. We just had that Alaskan airline here that right. was in a brand new uh, 737 MAX and the cowling came off. Because it was not, it's not made of aluminum. It's made of composite materials, and they think the de-icing chemical they use wears it out, and it just hit the side of the. I think it, two years ago or three years ago, it did the same thing, and it killed somebody. Oh, so, so this, this one was a, in. They like, say a window blew out on a. Plane. Yes, this and this one just happened. Today. It just yeah. happened yesterday, yeah. on the way from Ontario, I think, to Seattle. So, these things are going to increase until we we get and. You, Pete Buttigieg, who oversees this, is not interested in your safety. He's interested in cloverleafs being racist. He's interested in DEI, DEI, DEI. But he's not, his foremost concern is not your safety, whether it's on a freeway, whether it's on a train, whether it is, he didn't even go to East Palestine because he was afraid that people would confront him over this. Right. So like two weeks after it happened. I don't think Joe Biden has ever been there. Everybody knows that if East Palestine had been a marginalized person community or DI, he would have demagogued the first day and been there. But he knew they were poor white people and nobody cared about them and they deserved what they got. He just wasn't. They were MAGA irredeemables. That's who he yeah. attacks. He wasn't going to set foot there. He didn't care. So it's so politicized that and this country is so complex I just feel that the country was built and reached an ascendance somewhere around 2000. And it was based on a very, very different paradigm than the rest of the world. It was a meritocratic paradigm that privileged liberty and freedom more than it did enforced equality. And therefore, right. it was not like Europe, the other form of the Western paradigm. It was not like Japan, a westernized country. And it was certainly not like Russia, Iran, Latin America, China. And that's why people came here. And we got all this natural talent that came here and they all agreed, whatever the religion race, to play by this meritocratic system. 
and the people who couldn't do as well financially, there were mechanisms, not just government, but philanthropy and family that helped. And if you kept that paradigm, we would have the greatest affluent security, safety, prosperity, and we can't do it. And so we threw that away this century, and especially after George Floyd, and we started using the commissariat system, and we're promoting people to very high places in government, in the cabinet, in the government, in the vice presidency, in the president of Harvard, in C- and they're not there because of merit. Right. And the funny, ironic thing about this, Jack, is that when you get rid of DEI and you just have a merit-based system, then people who have been unrepresentative soar because they feel that they're going to show people that the, they were prejudiced. So we get you get people like a Glenn Lowry or a John McWhorter or a Roland Fry or a Tom Sowell or Shelby Steele, not just equal with a so-called white community, but better than, I mean, no different than the very top best people in the world in their fields. Right. And they, they incidentally happen to be black, not essentially. And, you know, I, I'm at the Hoover Institution, Condoleezza Rice. I can tell you Condoleezza Rice is not Claudine Gay. And she's been, you know, she handled geostrategic decision-making in a way that Claudine Gay could never do. And she, so when you see people that, and she, and they all have something in common, Shelby in Chicago or Tom, Tom growing up in Harlem or Roland Fryer from a broken home or Condoleezza Rice growing up from Alabama, but not a Haitian aristocrat who is just sent right into Phillips Exeter and over Academy, right? Right. And so that that's what's so tragic about it, because then people think, well, he's a DEI when if you just didn't do this, but you worked at the at the all you'd have to do is get rid of DEI, affirmative action, everything. And you take a hit in the beginning. But then you go into Chicago or Los Angeles and you get private academies and uniforms and required Latin and you work, you get you get rid of the Al Sharptons and you the Jesse Jackson type people and all of those people, the Kendi fakers. And you get people who say we're going to have a lower illegitimate rate than any other community and we're going to have a lower divorce rate and we're going to have a nor and you get that momentum going and then you don't have to worry again. And it's sort of, it's like so-called white people that people don't say anymore, that guy's Italian, that guy's Serbian, that guy is Greek, that guy's Arab. They just, they blaspheme them as white. But the point I make is those used to be very big fault lines. Remember when we were growing up? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. He's a spick. He's a Armenian. He's a Jew. And that's kind of just, now they're white. And people make fun of that, but the point is that those tribal identities became, they became. Yeah, I'm sorry to do this. It's like one of the great, of the many great things in The Godfather when um, Tommy meets the Jack Wolves or whatever the yes, movie producer, he calls him, we, you guinea goomba, grease ball, and he says, I'm, I'm, well, I'm, I'm Irish and German. So, well, my Mick Kraut, Mick friend. You know, and this was this is the way people taught and think and uh, thought. 
And actually, it wasn't for, you know, for me growing up, this was not adversarial. It was always, you know, bonding in one part, you're Italian, but then also comical when you're dealing with your friends. You know, it's funny is my grandfather was a very, he, I worshipped him. He was a my maternal, I worshipped both of them, but he was yeah. maternal and he was Welsh and Reese, R-E-S, Davis, D-A, very Welsh. And I think he was three quarters Welsh. He had that ruddy complexion with buck teeth, right? We all have that if you're Welsh or he was half. Yes. Yeah. But his two daughters married in the 40s. One was Danish and one was Swedish. My dad and my sister, my aunt's husband, he was Danish. And people were very worried because that, they came from Kingsburg or they came from these Scandinavians, and the word was that Scandinavians were hardworking, mm -hmm. but they tended to be depressed. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it was a climate they grew up, they were acculturated in, but they yeah. drank a lot or they smoked a lot. And my grandfather told me, he said, I just loved your dad. You know, a lot of people came to me and they said, if your mom marries a squarehead, <laughs> He'd work like crazy, but they drank and they're depressed, and they and that was the prejudice against. Them. Is that what sweet squareheads? Oh, yeah, that's squarehead. Like, that's what I when I was in football. The coach came to me and he said, "We have an eight and a half football helmet, Victor, but you're a squarehead. So come over here. We have a squarehead cabinet." And I went there, and they had these huge football helmets. They had like three of them. He said, "Put that on, squarehead." And I said, "It fit." And he goes, well, you we only have two square heads with these big gargantuan skulls. And he yes. said, my God, where'd you get that thing? You know, yeah. and they said, you have a hard head. So, you know, everybody got concussions in those days. I only got one. And he said, I got hit really hard. A guy kicked me in the Sanger game against Selma. And the guy kicked me in the head. And I, you know, I saw it, literally saw birds. And the coach came up to me and said, that you can't have a concussion. You're a square head. <laughs> well, well that, that was funny. Speaking of concussions, we've got one more thing to discuss on uh, today's episode, and that that's the most serious uh, concussion that's come from uh, men entering women's boxing. Oh my it's god! A sport. And we'll get to that right after this final important message. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. 
we're back with the Victor Davis Hanson show. Before we get to this uh, final uh, little topic, I uh, do want to encourage our listeners to visit the Blade of Perseus, victorhanson.com is the web address. It's the happy home of Victor on the World Wide Web. Go there. You will find links to everything he writes, his essays, weekly essays for, for American Greatness, his weekly syndicated columns, the archives for these podcasts, Victor's other appearances, links to his books, and links to these articles he writes exclusively. Now, that means only for The Blade of Perseus. And those are ultra articles. You want to read them. You will want to read them, but you will not be able to read them unless you subscribe. Victor writes two or three ultra pieces three, a week. Three, 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 three. Well, okay. I'll I know that we were late before. today because it... Uh, uh, that's people right. were on vacation, but we, it's right. there today. At three, three, a week. three this week. Okay, and uh, actually, it's a the current series. Um, why rural irks urban is terrific. I would like to encourage you to to read it. But again, subscribe. Five bucks gets you in the door uh, for a month, discounted for a full year at fifty dollars. The blade of Perseus. So, Victor, yeah, I came across uh, this. A tweet uh, put up by a guy, Colin Rugg. Um, it's a little video, and it's a, a dude boxing a woman and world champion female boxer, Floressa Shields. I'd never heard of her before, but I take his word. Gets knocked out by little-known boxer Arters uh, Amitovs during training. You know, they're wearing their uh, the, um, the headgear. Great example of why biological men shouldn't be competing in women's sports. How just how good is a boxer's shields? Shields is one of three boxers in history to hold all four major uh, boxing world titles in two weight classes, and yet she gets knocked out by a no-name male, like immediately, immediately. Victor, I mean, I, I am so I don't care if it's tiddlywinks or badminton or, but uh, uh, this these men who want to be involved in women's sports, there's something utterly misogynistic about it. And in cases like this sport, or we've seen other sports, rugby, like these big freaking hulking dudes knocking these, you know, women over. I, I think they're thrilling to it. They're th thrilling to the embarrassment of women in locker rooms. You know, I don't understand sick. it. I think it's... I gotta be careful here, but there is some there's some deep seated dislike of women on by these people. You know what I mean? They don't want to discuss it, but if you're a male and then you say you're transitioning with hormonal therapy, but you know that your genetic muscular skeleton profile gives you enormous advantages and structure and muscularity, et cetera. And then you go deliberately into this female sport and you know that you have this advantage and you know that you've created a climate where if anybody objects, you're going to call them all sorts of names and you know you're going to destroy the aspirations of women and you know you're going to destroy the whole 50s year record of advancement for equality of women's sports and records, especially, then you must not like women to do that. Because if you have, most of them still have male genitalia, 
they, they they take hormones and they may have breasts, but they still have the genitalia and they I guess they have hormone suppression, but they have the muscularity. And then you add into the equation that this society had finally paid attention to sexuality and pre-16, pre-18 year naivete and all of the manifestations of adults taking advantage of children for sexual purposes, whether that was intercourse or voyeurism or exposure. And you put people who say they are women, but they have male characteristics and you have young girls, you know, 16, 14 in a locker room who've never seen male genitalia and yet they're seeing them and they know that if they say anything, they are going to be held culpable, then what is it? What's the driving force? I mean, there are solutions to this, Jack. All you have to do is say there was something called general gender dysphoria. Going back to Havelock Ellis or Freud, people understood that. It's a very, very small percentage, probably less than 1%. But it does exist as a medical challenge. And you can treat that if you have very careful counseling with hormonal treatment, and then the person can become transgender. However, that does not change the DNA. So, we're going to have a special category for transgenderism. And we recognize, furthermore, that it is not a problem for women who transgendered to males. Now, the transgendered community may tell us that once you're transgendered to that set opposite sex, there is no difference. And if you mesh your pronouns, you're no difference. But we know there's a difference because there has never been a transgendered man who was a biological woman who has broken a major male record. There are transgendered women, men who went to women that do do that. So we understand that that prima facie shows you that they're not completely women in the classical sense or completely men when they transition. Therefore, we're going to have a special category. It's called transsexual sports. And we'll allow people to compete. They'll have their own Olympics. They'll have everything. Sure. And why Freedom not do association. that? association. Yeah, go and ahead. They won't do that because that. they insist there's no difference between once you transition, even if you have a phallus and testicles, there's no difference between you yeah. and a woman. And when you put these people into female cell blocks and penitentiaries, oh or you gosh. put them in locker rooms, then you get what is happening. And then this, what's weird about the whole thing is this, ta this new, uh, internet, social media-fueled, uh, which say them witch trial type thing, and yeah. or McCarthyism, and you put that element in, do you destroy people even if they question you? Or did you see that clip that went viral about the African-American guy? He's at the, uh, I guess it's it Delta. Delta, was yeah. And when yeah, yeah. Uh, you don't see that, but the other person is screaming at him, and he just says, finally, I'm not going to play this game. Yeah. And I really admired him. But, Bravo. I agree. Yeah. yeah. And you, I think everybody's, I think just to finish today, everybody should remember there's been two iconic moments that we have never really seen before. 
One was December 5th. That had the largest, did you know that had the largest viewership of a congressional hearing in history, supposedly? More than the Watergate. Maybe the population's bigger of people who watch that on video or replay or live. And then oh, the October, three, the, the, the three. Yes, the three presidents. presidents. Oh, and I the December that. 7th, excuse me, October 7th. Those two events have really changed our lives because the yeah. October 7th brought home to people that the whole DEI marginalized person intersectional community was racist and they right. were cheering the mutilation, necrophilia, decapitation, everything that happened on October 7th before the IDF had even Right. Even responded and on campuses, which were supposed to be the hallmarks of intellectual freedom and excellence, they were in behavior and conduct harassing Jewish people, hitting Euphoric them. Euphoric over hate. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that showed you that they did that because they felt that they could claim victimhood and their binaries of victim, victimizer, oppressed, oppressors. And that gave them exemption. And then people said to themselves, oh, my God, we have created Frankensteinian monsters and they are attacking the creators because we didn't think this was ever going to happen. But once you tell a person that he is a victim and that if he says things about his supposed victimizers, he has a complete blank check to say everything he wants or does, and there's no comp, then you have a civil war almost. And the second thing was, if you pick three presidents, these are not old white males in the old boy system from Harvard and MIT and Penn, but they are women, and one is a woman of quote-unquote color, and you put them before Congress and the nation, and you ask them point blank, under oath, what are you going to do about the, the epidemic of anti-Semitic, anti-Jewish behavior and conduct that expresses itself in hatred? What are you going to do? And they, and they have all been coached by sophisticated law firms. Right. Right. And they say it depends on the context or they cite the First Amendment when you know that that is a lie, because in each one of their universities, they have suspended, punished, expelled, either visiting, canceled, either visiting speakers or visiting lectures or their own faculty or their own students for thought and expression and behavior they deemed hate. Right. Meaning it's unorthodox and it's directed against gays, women, trans, Latinos, blacks, Asians. Anybody but white males and Jews or both. And they lied about that. And then they when they were cross-examined, that's what Stefanik was famous for. She said, what would you have to do to incur a punitive reaction from you if you called for the death of Jews and they were deer in the headlights. She said, would you have to actually kill a Jew before you acted? Mm. And that completely discredited the whole idea of the DI and it discredited their universities. And, you know, now we don't even talk about Harvard University. We call it the Harvard Corporation. That's what it is. 
And we never really did that before. Now we look at the board, we say they're a Harvard corporation. They're just a corporation. They're a $50 billion money-making machine, and they're exempt. And then when they get snarky and say, oh, well, the debate about Claudine on Ford, you got in the public domain. Yeah, well, it's a public domain because you you don't pay taxes, you corporations. All corporations pay taxes. You don't pay taxes on your endowment income. You get money from the federal government, huge subsidies. You get subsidized loan help. So you know what? We're not going to give that anymore to you because you're not disinterested and nonpartisan. You're an ideological mill, and yeah. that's your purpose. Can and I say something, Victor? Because that's I think that's that ruined. I, think that's, I do. That's, I think it's ruined. Well, let us pray. But that tax status is all based on what is a sense of the public good. You're yes. doing something that's for the public good that would otherwise have to have been done maybe by the government. So therefore, we're going to give you a tax break because you do this public good. But it that's a subjective thing. What is the public good? I, I do believe, and I can't believe I'm saying this, I do believe that if you are a social science or humanities major and you go to Stanford, Princeton, Harvard, Yale, Ivy League, our elite campuses, and maybe it's true of the other ones too. I taught at one 21 years at Cal State Fresno. But you go there and I taught humanities and it was a good thing I felt. It was non-political and it really helped people. But I think that experience, forget the cost benefit of the huge expense, is a negative now. And the person who leaves and graduates from those universities is more ideologically intolerant. They're more racist. They're more sexist. And they're more chauvinistic. And they end up disliking more than liking the United States. And the whole right. experience is negative. And until they reform... They're going to have to be treated at what they are. That is a private corporation that has a agenda and they will pay taxes on it. And when Harvard starts paying $2 billion in income tax, they might just might in the Harvard Corporation. Penny Prixer might say, wait a minute, we got to pay $2 billion. I don't think we can afford 70 DEI people anymore. Yeah. Hmm. Well, how would we get out of? Paying the $2 billion. Well, I guess we'd have to go back to a curriculum and read Shakespeare or have a course on the Revolutionary War or something. We just have to be, I don't know, non-biased, I guess. And that's the only hope for them. But right now, they are a toxic presence in our country. Yeah, well, just yeah. and you know what's right. sad about uh, it? They're, they're ignorant. They were supposed to train these young men and women to become good citizens, and well, what happens when you train them to be bad citizens? <laughs> I don't know, but I can tell enjoy you the joint tax exempt status. I can tell you that I have been a guest professor at Hillsdale College, and I have been a guest professor at Stanford, and I work at Stanford, and I have been a guest lecturer where I gave lectures at UC Berkeley. I was at the Naval Academy, and I can tell you that today's Hillsdale student, I would put them in, you give a test on exiting a bachelor's degree. You just pick out of a hat 10 students from Stanford and 10 from Hillsdale, and you give them a multiple choice question on history, literature, and the Hillsdale student will just outperform them in every category. I just believe that. 
And that's based on empirical, not you know, scientific data, but it's just true. And so they're not just arrogant, but they're not well informed because you know there's only 24 hours in a day, right. and when you're taking the sexual the Latinx sexuality and the art of rhetoric and masculinity and trans uh, history of transsexualism in the cinema, you're taking and then you know superhero comic books and the gay man or something you, and these are <laughs> titles and you take that then you're not don't have a time to do the other stuff right and right. it reminds me you know i was a classicist i had a great mentor john lynch and uh, after my first year i had never had latin or greek and he said i did well in his western civ classes and in literature and translation he said i'd like you to think about classics and i said well i'm 18 and he said, well, it's not too late. <laughs> I thought it was too late. And he said, if you got to go to Yale uh, Intensive Creek, I said, I'm only 18. He said, well, it's all for 20-year-old, 20, 20, 30-year-old graduate students, but you can survive it. And when you come back, you'll have eight or 10 weeks of intensive Greek, and then you'll start Latin. And you, I looked at your transcript. You have 45 units of advanced placement. You don't have to do any GE. And if you study Latin and Greek and ancient philosophy history, you could go to graduate school. And I thought, wow. But then I said to him, well, how many hours does it take to learn if I take this? He said, well, it's going to take you 50 hours a week in this four hours of classes, four hours of study of your homework. And then you have to do in the summer four hours. And New, New Haven, Connecticut is humid and hot. But if you do that, <laughs> yeah, that's what he said. You're going to have to do. Because Fresno is so cool and balmy. <laughs> well, at least that's dry heat. Yeah, but his true. point was that you're going to have four or 500 hours, right? Right. And then he said, then you're going to come back. It's going to take you 2,500 hours or 3,000 hours to learn Greek well. And then you'll have Latin. So that's about 6,000 hours. And that means that you're going to short your broad, but you're going to be reading things in the West. So the content will help. So you'll be broadly educated. But my point is, I thought, wow, I, I looked at my day, you know, 40 hours a week and there was no time. Right. And I, I was really worried because I took an environmental uh, ecology class and it was a really good professor. I liked him very left wing, but I thought, wow, I'm studying something that's not this. And but that is just out the window now. We don't even tell students that we just take right. these courses, take this. And you think nobody ever says, you know, take, uh, I don't know, psychological problems of the inner city and the racist uh, Kindy, you know, or Abraham Kindy's dialogues or whatever. They never say, take that, but you're not going to be reading King Lear and Dante's Inferno. Right. They never say that, but that's what it is. And so when you do that in this zero-sum game, you're turning out, churning out these people who are arrogant and ideological and intolerant and feel they have a missionary zeal to change the country, and they have no intellectual tools to do it, and people know that. And then you start to examine them and compare them and hold them to criteria and rules and merit. And they say, you're racist, you're sexist, you're this, you're that. And presto, you get Claudine Gay. Yeah. And here we are. Yeah, and how does that ruin everything? I'll tell you how very quickly before we go. Yeah. You have a serial plagiarizer. 
who would not give the data that just not producing the data alone to share is a is a scholarly offense right that usually nullifies your dissertation or anything and then you have this meager record of four and all the articles were on uh race systemic racism in this and that it was all about that nothing else you know, she's an economist or suppose or political scientist. She didn't write about anything other than what she is. One one trick pony. And one trick pony and 60% of the 11 articles were plagiarized. Okay. Right. And then she can't even say under oath that she will punish people who engage in anti-Semitic conduct and speech, even though that she punishes har harshly anybody who would dare do that to any other person. Okay. And what is the reaction of Harvard Corporation? Remember, not the university, the corporation. Well, 700 faculty members then tried to suggest that her plagiarism is not plagiarism. They hire a law firm. The law firm then sues the New York Post and threatens them with libel. Then they get their surrogates and they say, between the surrogates, and the corporation, and the faculty, and the law firm collate all Obama. what they said. Yes. What did they say about <laughs> plagiarism? They told the nation, Harvard did, or its surrogates, plagiarism is just mere copying. One, two, if the plagiarized professor, which we're going to really demonize if he objects, if he doesn't object, it's not a crime. If he doesn't care they stole his work, if Claudine stole his work, what do you care? Number three, these are whistleblowers. These are anonymous. I mean, this is well beyond Michael Vinman. Remember, and Eric Saramella, they canonized. Right. Right. We have to protect the whistleblower. You need anonymity. If they don't come forward, that's what the law firm told the New York Post. These are anonymous. And so what did Harvard do? They took their preeminent reputation as the world's greatest university, supposedly. I don't concur, but supposedly. And they made a systematic, continuous, serial defense of intellectual theft. And they did it because they felt we're Harvard and we can get away with demonizing anybody who criticizes Claudine Gay because we're committed to racism. Racism as defined by promoting, hiring, retaining, enhancing somebody because of their race or gender. And or we'll not hiring anything. because of race. Or not hiring. And we will do yeah. anything. Yeah. We will lie. We will make up rules that we have never applied. We have never once, when we had a student plagiarized, that we suspended, or a faculty member that we let go, we never said once, well, it was just an anonymous complaint, so you don't have anything to work about. Or, you know, it was just copying. It's, you don't have anything to worry about. Or, I don't know, it's just one or two times. You don't have anything to worry about. Or it's just a misstep. You don't have anything to worry about. Or you use duplicative language. Duplicative language. That, they never once did that. So that fact, they're never going to live down. And now, finally, they're stuck because they have a full professor a political science professor, Claudine Gay, that will be in the political science department, probably with her presidential contract salary of 900 plus thousand. And she will be in that department. And everybody's going to think, hmm, 
how are we going to do this when we discover some assistant professor, and they will, is guilty of plagiarism? How are we going to well, do this when a student turns in a paper and it's plagiarized? Yeah. And how are we going to kick them out when we've said it's only duplicative language or it's just a misstep? Or how are we going to do this because we said that anonymous person ratted them out so it doesn't count? That's what they're stuck with for the rest of their lives. Yeah. And they don't He's, know what they've done. That The whole Harvard corporate board's got to resign. They've got to say, you know what? We did this to Harvard. We're sorry. And she should resign, too. She should say, I don't know. You know, maybe they can, you know, I have a solution for it. It would solve so it? many problems for the Democrats and the left. Why don't they just have appoint Kamala Harris as president of Harvard? <laughs> Okay. She has you know an advanced degree, a JD. That's that's good enough. Yeah. She's a black woman. As Joe Biden said, he was going to only pick a black woman. He's got a black woman that would ease up the Democratic uh, nominating process. It would mm -hmm. matter. They wouldn't have the Harris problem to ease her out. Uh, she could not be any less impressive than Claudine Gay. She's got more experience. If you're telling me that the vice president of the United States is not qualified to be the president of a now severely diminished Harvard Corporation? I don't believe it. Yeah. That would be just a wonderful thing to do. Gee, did you get up? Willie, Willie Brown come as a commencement speaker. You know? <laughs> I admire Willie, Willie, Willie Brown. Yeah. For once, he was a brilliant politician. He didn't have a lot of scruples. But when he, when she, when he's, he basically said, if you go back and read his op-eds, yeah, you go for the San Francisco Chronicle during her ascendance to the vice presidency. You collate them all. And it was basically that was my live in girlfriend. I was married. I wasn't divorced. She was about 30 years younger than I am. I groomed her. I got her a job on a state board. She didn't deserve. I got her. I used all my contacts and got her elected city, county, county attorney. I did everything for her. And I would be very wary about you guys voting for her. <laughs> I mean, he didn't say that, but that's the that's what you come. Even Charlemagne the God said that the other day. You know, the guy that uh, Joe yeah. Biden said you, you ain't black. <laughs> what a weird world we live in, man! It's, oh, it's like, a, it's like I, a, by the way, Victor, I don't think we we've seen nothing yet with Harvard. I think because Ackman, the guy, you know, the billionaire who's oh yeah, we, we got to finish on that real quick. Go oh, lead she, into that, Jack, about his wife. Well, his, yeah, his so his wife uh, has been outed now, and he's outed as uh, pl having plagiarized in part on her uh, dissertation. I think it was for MIT, uh, or she taught at MIT, or maybe it was at Harvard. I forget one of the, one of the big elite Massachusetts schools. But she apologized, and yes, I same thing. But my thought here is like, okay. I mean, Ackman's revenge. Are you going to F with my wife? Uh, can you imagine him bankrolling investors? Did you hear what he said? Did you hear what he said he did, is going to do? No, no, no. Well, I didn't. I didn't. What, what well, did wasn't her dissertation from MIT? I think so. Yeah. yeah. And she's absolutely, that's a second wife, but she's absolutely stunning. And she's a new she's age. She's Israeli, isn't she? Is yes. She's Israeli? a cutting edge architect that everybody wants their designs for. I don't know. Yeah. I'm a classical architect. I mean, I, I like classical designs, obviously. But right. but she's very talented, apparently. And I guess in her 330-page dissertation, and this is what she's saying, that she she had two passages. I don't know how many. But once you go down that road and you say that you can't, she's going to have to, you know, Pay the price. You have to. Right. right. Okay. So what he says is, <laughs> it's 
it's kind of hypocritical, but he says, well, I knew they were going to go after my family after I did this, and they did. But that doesn't mean that she wasn't culpable because she apologized right. today. Right. Unlike Claudine Gay, and I admire both of them, he and his wife, right? because they were very smart. They said, we're not going to do Claudine Gay and don't mention it and say, I have the, she could have said, I have the highest standards of scholarship and I'm, I acted proactively. Yeah. She could have said that, you know. And but you're after didn't. me because I'm Jewish, you know. She yes, she could have said that too. Yeah. Yeah. Or you're after me because I'm his wife, but she didn't. She just apologized. I thought that took a lot of character. But here's the thing. Then he says he was going to go through. I guess it must be through, it wasn't explicitly defined, but we're going to go through, I guess, through computers or stuff. Because you can take anything anybody writes, right? Right. And you can just copy it and put it on a Google search, right? Right. And if yes. that comes up in a public, you're dead. If it's more than, I mean, sometimes uh, I've done it with articles that I've read, you know, and I thought, this sounds weird and yeah, it'll, there'll be something like it, but it's only one sentence and it's not. It's just a coincidence. So, but the point is, he's going to go through all the MIT faculty and president and go through their published works and see if anybody plagiarized. Yeah. It's going to be like Me Too. Have you noticed that? When all, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> remember the Me Too? Every yeah. single male in the United States was saying, hmm. <laughs> when I went out on that date, did I say something wrong? Did I do something? Is that going to come back to haunt me? Right, and now right. every single person in the country who's ever written anything is going to say, hmm. Yeah, I think there's some plagiarism software out there. That's there is. That's what, he's, that's what he was yeah. implying. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, and I think know. that's what they use to get to get uh, Claudine Gay. Well, uh, and, then, you know, like I said, Christopher Rufo was unapologetic about it. Yeah, he's uh, talk about a scalp. Yeah. Anyway, okay, my friend, we've we've uh, we've gone pretty long here, but there's you know never enough of your brilliance. Thank you for all you shared today, Victor. I want to thank uh, those listeners who sign up for Civil Thoughts, the free weekly email newsletter I write for the Center for Civil Society. Excuse me for bouncing the microphone here. The Center for Civil Society at American Philanthropic, now Amphil, where we are determined to strengthen civil society. Uh, civil Thoughts offers 14 recommended readings, essays, articles I've come across the previous week. Here's a link. Here's an excerpt. I think you'll like it. We're not selling anything, just offering wisdom. So go to civilthoughts.com, sign up for that, and go to check out The Blade of Perseus at victorhanson.com. And those who uh, take the time and effort to um, go to iTunes or Apple and rate the show zero to five stars, 4.9 plus average rating for, for the Victor Davis Hanson show. We thank you for doing that and thank those who leave comments. We read them all. And quickly, here are two. This one's titled Extraordinarily Radical. Quote, outstanding information and intellect, Dr. BDH. Funny how to... The funny how-to, the original radicals. I think that's one of the things you wrote. You resisted. You have now become the wide-eyed, subversive, radical ideologue. I spelled idea, I-D-E-A, dash log. And confederate rebel amongst academia and poli-sci corrupt lawyer politicians and the ultra-left oligarchs 
This is signed by Wide Open Wally. Well, he's he's complimenting you in a very original way. Thanks, Wally. And then there's one titled Brilliance. Quote, where else can we get world-class brilliance? Victor, Sammy, Jack, give a great show, stimulating content with easy on the ears voices, especially Sammy. And mixing the Central Valley of California with classical civilizations and Dodge Ram dystopia special sauce. End quote. This is from James Rogers. Yeah. Well, thank you, James. Uh, thank you, Wide-Eyed Wally, and everyone else who's left left comments. Uh, and Victor, thank you for all the great wisdom you shared today. And we will be back soon with another episode of the Victor Davis Hanson Show. Bye-bye. Thank you, everyone. It's Amanda Head, and I am thrilled to introduce to you my new exciting podcast, Furthermore, with Amanda Head, broadcasting weekly from sunny Los Angeles, California, and brought to you by the dynamic Just the News Podcast Network. On this fresh and engaging podcast, I delve into the latest news with a little bit of a twist, exploring the furthermore of every story. But this isn't your typical run-of-the-mill news commentary or politically charged program. I interview a diverse range of guests, including business leaders, entertainers, musicians, educators, expert politicians, and many influential figures from both the United States and around the world. So why not make your Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays a little more interesting? Tune in on your preferred podcast platform and discover furthermore with Amanda Head on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And don't forget to hit that follow or subscribe button and be sure to download the latest episodes. I can't wait to have you join me on this exciting journey.